I feel the Holy Ghost. You can, you can be seated and we're going to get started. I'm going to read here in just a moment. Everybody say different. Last week, a uh, pastor talked to us and started the series off on different out of the book of 1 Peter. And we learned that Peter was writing to persecuted Christians. Um, they were the exiles. They had been driven from Jerusalem to many different parts of the world. And they were, were hated. Um, the reason they were hated is because Nero, the emperor of Rome, had, uh, because he had a lust and a desire to expand Rome, decided to burn down his own kingdom. And in the process, he also hated Christians, so he, bl- he burned it down and he blamed the Christians. And so they were hated, they were persecuted, they, they were going through all of this stuff. And in the middle of all of that, Peter writes this letter, uh, the first uh, book of Peter to those exiled Christians. And he wrote to give them hope and to tell them that this world is not your home. Somebody say, it's not my home. He was writing to them to tell them that you are a stranger here. You are a sojourner here. You are just passing through. Not, not to get too tied up in the things of this world. Not to get too tied up in the trials of this life because you're, you're just passing through. He was giving them hope that the world is not your home. He called them the parapetamoi or something Along those lines. I don't speak Greek, but that's my closest shot at it. And uh, I noticed Pastor skipped over what the Greek word was last week because he can't say it either. <laughs> but he called them this, this word in the Greek, and it means exiles, sojourners, aliens, strangers, and foreigners. He was hammering it home. He was saying this world is not your own. You're called to be different. Different passions. You're, you're called to live for a different purpose. You're, you're called to live differently with your finances. Anybody ever heard of tithing and offering and, and sacrificial giving? You're called to live differently when it comes to your finances. You are, are, are called to be a different kind of parent. We're not supposed to be like the parents of the world. We're called to be a different kind of spouse, to have different kind of marriages. Somebody say, we're different. And that's where I want to pick up tonight in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter picks up, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who has called you is holy... You also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Peter continues and says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of, listen to it, your exile. said, you're just going to be here for a little while. So while you're here, live to please your Father. Live to please God. Be holy because He's holy. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold. But with the precious blood 
of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you hear what Peter is saying to them? He's saying, you're only here for a little while. You're just an exile, just a stranger that's passing through this world. And because of that, you should live to please God and not to please this world. That you should live to please the blood, uh, the lamb who was slain with the precious blood, the spotless lamb. Live because he's spotless. You live holy. Peter transitions from talking about the troubles and trials that Pastor taught us about last week. And, and he transitions uh, from talking about what Christians will go through and how we endure them differently than the world around us. And he starts talking about the danger of being distracted and allured by the world that we are living in. And the word exile and uh, foreigner is hammered over and over again in this passage. Um, He he over and over again revisits that language that you're a stranger, you're a foreigner. Because Peter is driving home the message that we are called to be different from the world around us. The world is not your home. I'll say it this way. The world is not even your friend. It's not your home. It's not your friend. You you ever gone to somebody's house and they say, make yourself at home? Do you ever really do that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Because at my house, if it's in the fridge, it's fair game. But I don't go to somebody else's house and eat their cake that they've been saving. It's not really my home. (laughs) I don't get too settled in. I don't kick off my shoes after a long sweaty day at somebody else's house because I respect that it's not my house. And, and this is how God wants us to live in this world. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't get too invested here. Don't get too involved here because you're different. You're not from here. You're different. Somebody say, I'm different. We know. Amen. And so Peter tells us we will have trials in this world. We will feel the pull of worldliness. We will struggle between the old life and the new life. And and then he begins to tell us how to live as strangers to a world that we used to be a part of. And and now I want to say at the beginning that Peter is not telling us to hide from the world. He's not advocating that the Christians go hide in a cave and live in a cave somewhere. You know, have their meals delivered uh, by whatever ancient equivalent there was to Uber Eats. Just have somebody bring it and toss it to the end of the cave, and they'll come out and and get their rations and go back into the cave and live so far from the world that they can't reach it. No, Peter is not telling people to go live in a cave or or start a monastery uh, or to isolate their their selves for fear of failing. Um, Peter is not telling us to run from this world. He says that you are strangers in this world. You are exiles in this world. But we are called to live in this world, but we're not called to live like this world. Think of the language of Jesus. Jesus, in uh, his great sermon, said that you are a what? City set on a hill, right? He said you are a light in the what? The darkness. You are a lamp. And no man lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. In other words, what he's saying is your purpose is to be noticed in this world. Your purpose is to be in the middle of everything that's going on in this world. Your purpose is to be an influencer in this world. Your purpose 
is to make an impact in this world. And so we are called to live in the world, but we're not called to live like the world. We don't need to be so holy that we have no lost friends. Jesus wasn't, and he was the holiest of all, right? And so we're called to live in this world, but not to live like this world. We're in the world, as the scripture says, but we are not of the world. We're called to be different. And, and the sooner that we embrace that, the better off we'll be. The sooner that we realize that we're never going to be like everybody else, if we're going to be following God, the better off we'll be. Amen? Anybody believe that tonight? And so uh, Peter is, is driving this message home. And, and it's a message that the early Christians were familiar with. Jesus taught himself. He said, uh, broad is the way. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. This is not a scripture you hear quoted too often by televangelists. This is not a scripture you hear quoted too often on Facebook and shared as the thought of the day. But Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are more people going down there than there are up there. Broad is the way. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. And so listen, if you're doing it like everybody else, you better pay attention. You better take notice that if there's no difference in your life from before you met Christ to after you came and you were born again, something is dreadfully wrong because you're called to be different. You're a stranger here. We're looking for the different way. The path less traveled. And listen, at the onset, the title of our, our lesson, if you have your, your series guide, is Different Values in an Unholy Culture. I want, to, I want to say that our culture has lost its way. Anybody believe that tonight? Our culture has lost its way. It's lost its mind, too. But it's lost its way morally. Right? How many genders are there? Our culture says over 100. Culture's lost its way morally. Is it okay to, uh, for... for uh, Anybody to marry anybody now? Yes, it's fine. Culture has lost its way morally, right? All of a sudden, the stuff that we used to call right is now called wrong. You know, you know the Bible talks about that in the last days that they will call the, what is right wrong and what is wrong right. And, and have you ever noticed that, that over the last 20, 25 years that there has been a subtle shift in our society that anybody who stands up for the right thing, the moral thing is painted as a monster, right? How dare you stand behind a pulpit and say that fornication is a sin? How dare you? I feel offended by that. So what? That's the Broadway. <laughs> the Broadway gets offended, right? I better get back to my notes so I don't say something too off uh, kilter here. Because I would love to just jump in and just call it all out. <laughs> I'd love to, but I'm not going to do that tonight. But listen, our culture has lost its way. And we're living in a time and in a place where if we fall in with the culture, we're going to fall away from God. Is it all right if we just talk for a minute here tonight? I'm, I'm not going to scream and holler and, and preach it till the roof comes down. But, but we need to understand this as Christians, that, 
The more we fall in line with the culture, the more we fall away from God. We are living in an unholy culture. Just as the early Christians were living in an unholy culture, we are too. Think about it. The message of modesty. Think about it. I'm just going to touch a few things here. And the message of modesty. Um, how many of you know what that is? You know, the Bible teaches that we should be modest because the, uh, and we should dress modestly because uh, the way that we uh, conduct ourselves impacts others, right? The message of modesty is now seen as misogyny, right? The message of purity is seen as puritanical and outdated. Faith in the Bible by culture is seen as ignorant and antiquated and unscientific. And culture at every turn and every pass at the edge of culture, we're finding that it's pointing us not toward God, but away from God. It's leading us away from the things that we have known and believed and that have served us well as a nation and as Christians. And so here's what I'm getting at is, is the stuff that the culture is pushing at us and the ideas that the culture is propagating as its own can be boiled down in our day and age to uh, what's called secular humanism. Is that we are our own answer, that we are our own solution, and that we can set our own standard for right and wrong. And so, in an unholy culture, Peter was also dealing with church, uh, a New Testament church that was surrounded by pagan cultures. If you know anything about idolatry, you know that they create the image after the image they desire their God to be. And we're doing the same thing here. And so Peter's letter is a perfect fit for us today because he knows that they're living in an unholy culture. He knows that they're under constant bombardment of ideas that are not from God. And he's telling them, you don't fit in here. You don't fit in. You're not from here. And he tells us to live as obedient children by not conforming to your old desires. If you're a parent, you know precisely what it means to teach a kid not to do something that by nature they want to do. Anybody, any parents in the house can say amen? I was thinking about, I was trying to think of a story that would fit well with this. And I thought back to a few years ago. We were visiting family in Arizona, and my niece, Zariah, she is a precious kid. Don't get me wrong. She's precious. Awesome girl. But she decided to, I think she hit Jaira. Um, they were playing, and she just hauled off and, and, and slapped her or something. And uh, mom and dad saw it, and they said, you better apologize. And uh, no, 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 let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell her right. Jaira came running into the room and said, she hit me. You know how kids do. And they, they asked Zariah, they said, is this true? She nodded her head and they said, go give your cousin a hug and tell her you're sorry. Nope. I said, Zariah, how dare you better go tell her. She's probably about four or five years old. You better go tell them you're sorry. No. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a wonderful kid. And, and maybe because of this experience, but mom and dad could do nothing, nothing to get Zariah to apologize that day. It, the hit wasn't even that big of a deal. It would have been done in two seconds. But she didn't want to humble herself and apologize. And so for the next six or seven hours, they sit her in timeout. And they'd come over, are you ready to apologize? Yeah, I'm ready to apologize. They would bring her over to Jaira. 
And they'd say, apologize, and she would say, no. Change her mind. I'd go, put her back in time out again. Do a little spanking here and there. And then let her, wait, let her marinate for a while, see if she's ready. <laughs> and they brought her back over and over for six or seven hours. She would not apologize. Now, I seem to remember her apologizing. But recently I was talking about this to my brother-in-law, and he said, no, she never did, not till the next day. She just wasn't having it. She wasn't an obedient child. But the next day or whenever it happened, she finally did come around and apologize, right? They just had to lead her to it forcefully. <laughs> As an obedient child, he says, do not conform to your old desires. An obedient child is not a child who doesn't desire to do things they aren't supposed to do. An obedient child are children that have enough fear and reverence for mom and dad that they will obey in spite of what they are wanting to do or what they desire. They value relationship with mom and dad more than they desire the thing that they are not supposed to do. And that's the difference between an obedient child and a disobedient child because there are no perfect children, right? There are no children that don't have wayward desires. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I got three of them, and I can say amen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But what is the difference between an obedient child and a disobedient? The obedient child, they care more about relationship with mom and dad. And there is a fear and a reverence that will drive them to do what mom and dad are asking them to do. As obedient children, we are called away from our old desires. Why does he call them old desires? Because the closer we get in relationship to God, the further those old desires become. And Peter was writing to people who had come out of the world. Now, listen, they weren't raised in the South cultural Christians. That's not who these people were. This was the first church. This was the early church. They had come out of paganism. They had come out of temple prostitution. They had come out of the world. They were very well aware of where they had come from. They remembered what life was like before Jesus came and found them. They remember what life was like before the blood. And Peter was saying, in this time of your life, and because you're in an unholy culture, live as an obedient child, called away from the old life and your old way of doing things. To live holy in an unholy culture. 1 John 2 describes the value system of an unholy culture. Listen, 1 John 2.16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. First John is telling us that in the world, what's in the world? It's the lust of the eyes and it's the lust of the flesh and it's the pride of life. And he's saying that the world and all of its desires and all of its things, it's going to pass away. It's only for a small period of time relative to eternity. And Peter is describing what normal looks like in the world. I love the New Living Translation the way it puts it. A craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything they see. 
pride and achievements and possessions. And he says these are not from the Father, but they are from this world. That's what it looks like to be normal in this world. A slave to physical pleasure. It looks like living for the pride of life, where your identity is wrapped up in achievement and in possession. It looks like constantly chasing after and looking to the next thing that will satisfy your soul. And that is what is normal for the world. But here's the thing. We're not called to be normal. We're called to be holy. We're called to be different. You know, one of the things that that I picked up from my family growing up, and, and we've continued in our family is sometimes you just got to tell your kids, we don't do that. Our family is different. That's the way we put it. Our family is different. We're not like everybody else. We don't do what everybody else does. We don't go where everybody else does. We don't listen to what everybody else listens to. We don't watch what everybody else watches. We, We don't do everything that everybody else does because we are different. Understand this, that for many, and this is in your notes, the greatest obstacle to fully following Jesus Christ is the desire to fit in with the world around them. It's the desire to fit in. I just want to be normal. I want to be normal, right? I, just want to, I remember thinking that as a teenager. Like, why can't I just be normal? <laughs> Some of you might be thinking that about me right now. I don't know. But why, why can't I just be normal? Why can't we just be like everybody else? Because our calling is different and our, our God is different and our, our Savior and our purpose and all, all of these things. We're just different. God did not create us to fit in. He created us to stand out. You're a city set on a hill. You're a light that cannot... You're salt in a flavorless world, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light That is in darkness. You are set apart. God never says blend in. God says stand out. Be different. You are a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. A peculiar people. And he said he called you out of darkness. Why? So that you might show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are not normal. You're not called to be normal. Listen, here's what normal is. Normal is broke. Normal is hurting. Normal is stressed out. Normal is divorced. Normal is afraid. Normal is anxious. Normal is bound in sin. That's what the world's normal is. And normal isn't working. We need to be weird because normal doesn't work. Why would you want to be like those people? We might be weird, but we're not. We shouldn't be broke, hurting, stressed, divorced, afraid, anxious. That's not who God called us to be. We need to be weird. And let me let me tell you something. You have permission to be weird. Go and be weird. Fly, birdie. Fly. (laughs) And look, Pentecostals, we have no problem being weird. We we cornered the market on weird. (laughs) One time I asked my dad, I said, why do we attract uh, attract all the crazies? So you've got to understand, our church, we attracted the crazies. Why? Because we're a little weird. I used to try try to calm it down for everybody. Well, like we worship. You know, I had a friend who was Catholic come to... I think it was a Christmas service or something like that with me. 
He had never been in a Pentecostal service. It was a Christmas service. And you all know we don't have real church at Christmas service. I mean, not Pentecostal church. I mean, we have like, you know, amped up Methodist church <laughs> at Christmas. It wasn't, it wasn't that wild, but everybody raised their hands at one time. And my friend Matt, he grabbed me by the arm. He said, what are they doing? What are they reaching for? I was like, Jesus? I, <laughs> I don't know. Never thought about it. I was like 12 years old. What are they reaching for? <laughs> I said, they're worshiping, man. He said, we don't worship like that at our church. Look, that was tame. And that was weird. That was tame. Uh, later on in high school, I brought another friend uh, to a lock-in. We, we were going to have an all-night lock-in. We, had a, we rented out uh, this place called America's Home Court. But, you know, because we're Pentecostal, you've got to do something spiritual before you do something fun. So we had a prayer meeting at the church at like 9 o'clock, and then at about 10, 10, 10.30, we were all going to go over to this place after their business closed, and we could have it the rest of the night. Well, the thing was, we had, we had two guys in our church that were former uh, wrestlers from Mexico, like the masks and everything. These guys didn't know like what quiet meant. They, they were just loud and everything, ostentatious, bold, loud dudes. And when they prayed... They loved to beat on the walls of the church as hard as they could. And these guys were like buffed up wrestlers, just pounding and screaming. And they, they walked through the altars like the Bushwhack Brothers, if y'all, any of y'all remember who they were. And I mean, they were loud. And uh, I brought my friend Jared, who uh, I, I believe he was raised in a Church of Christ church. So uh, not quite, you know, Pentecostal. And uh, he came and man, like I, I went and got down and I was praying and, you know, people were speaking in tongues and all that stuff. And and uh, these guys got started banging on the walls. And uh, Jared, I looked up, and he was sitting there like this. <laughs> I, I went over to him. I was like, man, are you okay? He said, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine, fine, I'm fine, fine. I said, okay, man. So I went back to praying. I didn't think anything about it. Afterwards, we were on our way over to the basketball place. And he said, no, man, I get it. I get it about those guys and the way they pray. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He's like, sometimes when I'm really angry, I go out the back of my house, and I have this log with an axe, and I just beat it as hard as I can. And I just, I just chop up that uh, piece of wood. So I get, I get what they're doing. I said, I don't think that's what they're doing, but that's okay, man. Here's the point. We're weird. We're weird, okay? Why? Why do we try to dodge it? That's who God called us to be. He called us out of darkness that we should show forth praises. God didn't call us to come to church and, and sit timidly while we think uh, the deeper thoughts about theology and life. No, he called us out of darkness so that we would show forth the praises of him who brought us out. And, and listen, here's the thing about it. When you're weird and you own it and you just give yourself to God and you let the spirit move, all of a sudden people who are broken, all of a sudden there's an atmosphere that happens of healing, right? All of a sudden deliverance comes into the house. Because the Spirit is able to move. And so we've been dodging. I know some of us, we bring our friends to church and we say, I hope it's not too wild today. I hope it's not too... Be wild! Get out of here! Don't hold back. They need the, they need the power of God to fall. And the power of God is different. It's different. It's different. I, I done got way off the notes. But look, look. Here, listen. I can bring it back. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, do what few people do. We need to be weird. 
We need to embrace worship. We need to embrace this calling that God has called us out of darkness. We don't need to be like everybody else. We don't need to be like every other church. Romans 12.2 says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Another version says it this way. Don't live any longer the way the world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. And then you will be able to test what God wants for you. And you will agree that what He wants is right. Do you know why you haven't found the will of God in your life? Because you still think like the world. He says, but if you can renew your mind, if you can change your thinking, then you can begin to test what the will of God is. When you get your eyes off of the pride of life and the lust of flesh and all the things the world seeks after, and you get your eyes on the Holy One, and you start to live to please Him, all of a sudden you can see what the will of God is. I like the way the message puts it. It says if we aren't careful, we can become so well-adjusted To our culture that we fit into it without even thinking. Paul in Romans gives us two words. He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Two two options here. We're either conformed or we're transformed. Amen? And the, the word conformed, I looked this up and I've taught on it before. The word conformed means to be pressed into a mold by outer pressure. There's pressure around you trying to push you into this mold. And, and, and that's what the world does to us. It grinds you down. It shows you it's, it, there's constant messaging being pushed at you um, in, in every avenue of media and through the voices of people who are echoing what they know and what culture says. And, and well, I heard this and, and my view is that. And, and listen, there is a constant pressure to be like the world, to accept what the world believes is true. And he says, do not be pressed into a mold. Don't be conformed by the pressure that's from this world. But he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is from the Greek word genome. And it's the same word that the human genome comes from, right? The genome representing our DNA. And so, look at the difference. He's saying, on one hand, you have the world trying to press you into its mold. The pressures of life and the carnal nature will press you into being like the world, right? But on the other side, you have transformation. And transformation happens from the inside out. It's like your DNA. When you're born again, something happens on the inside of you. How do you get your DNA? You get it by being born, right? How do you get your spiritual DNA? By being born again. And all of a sudden, some things... You know, my, 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 uh, my daughter, uh, Jaira, she thinks she's tall. Y'all don't tell her she's not. We don't want to crush her. The other day we were talking. She's always been the shortest kid in her class, but she, she took a little growth spurt. She's five foot three now, and that's probably all she'll ever be a day in this life, right? That's, she's probably not going to grow another inch. My mom was 4'11". She's lucky to have 5'3". But she was telling me, Dad, I'm tall. I'm tall this year. I'm tall this year. I said, Jerry, you're not tall. But here's the thing. She is what she is because of something that happened in her, in the birthing process, right? At conception. She received something that has determined what she is today. 
And it happens the same way with us as, as Peter is telling that there's something at work in you that if you will yield to it and if you will give yourself to it, it will change you. And you won't end up looking like the world. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only thing that can be pressed into a mold and the only way something can be pressed into a mold is if the outer pressure is greater than the inner strength. You ever notice that with Play-Doh? The reason you can push Play-Doh into a shape is because it doesn't have enough inner structure and inner strength to resist what's pressing on it. And so, as a Christian, we've got to get comfortable with resistance because resistance to the flow of culture is necessary. Resisting in our minds and in our hearts what the world is saying and in what the world is doing. I know people who have told me, not, not people in the church, but they've told me that they changed their view on whether uh, homosexual marriage is valid just because so many people have adopted the idea. They said, oh, what's it worth fighting for? I've had them tell me that. What's, worth, what's the big deal? Let them live and, and let live. Because understand that our morality is not defined even by our government. It's not defined by our culture. For us, it's defined by God's definition and God's word. And so we have to get comfortable with resisting the flow of culture. It's okay not to be cool. Listen, parents, you can't expect to raise kids that are different from the world if you aren't. We need to be prayerfully seeking God's voice on the standards that we set in our life and in our family. We need to be seeking the voice of God. We don't need to be seeing what other parents at the school let their kids do. We don't need to call up little Sally's mama and say, Hey, is this okay to watch or listen to? Or what are you all doing about this? No. You got, as a, as a Christian, you are called to stand out in this world, and you've got to prayerfully listen to the voice of God. Listen, your conviction may not be exactly like my conviction, but understand this, we've got to have conviction of the Holy Ghost at work in our life. We've got to have conviction of the Spirit at work in our life. And mine may not look like yours, and it may not be yours, but we all need to be seeking standards that will please God in our family. We don't just need to go with the flow of culture. Listen, 1 Peter 1.14 in New Living Translation he says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desire. Notice it says, don't slip back. Have you ever noticed you can slip right back into the old you? We call it losing the Holy Ghost sometimes. You get in traffic and the old you just shows up. <laughs> right? The old you just shows up. I remember when I went to Bible college, I got real spiritual, man. I... I just got, I thought I was on cloud nine. I got so spiritual. And I was there one semester and I thought, man, I'm going to go home and everybody's going to be like, wow, what a change. <laughs> what a change in his life. I was praying more than I'd ever prayed, studying more than I'd ever studied. Man, I was on fire for God. I thought, man, you know, I just, in my, I never said this out loud to anybody, but I thought, man, they're going to like just, whoa, be staggered by how holy and awesome this guy is when he gets back home. You know who I was when I got back home? I got back around the, my family that I've grown up around and my friends, and I was the same goofy kid that left as soon as I got back into my old environment. All the spirituality went out the window. Whatever joke came to my mind, I said it to get a laugh, whatever. It, all of a sudden, all that, that, those, that whole semester of seeking God, 
I was like, man, I thought I was going to come home and be holy, but I'm just the old me. I went back to school broken up. God, i got to try harder this time. Look, I just slipped back into it. Just slipped back into it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because some of y'all have worked on your accent. (laughs) But then when you get back around some of the old country folk, all of a sudden you slip back in. Right back into that old way of speaking. Anybody ever notice that? This is what Peter says. He says, if you're not careful, you can slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desire. Satan is subtle. He's sneaky. He never shows up and says, come be a Satanist. We're going to sacrifice some chickens. Come on, you know. Join us as we, you know, worship Satan around this fire in due chance. That's not how Satan comes. He's subtle. He's sneaky. And, and he does it the same way today as he did it in the book of Genesis. Did God really say that you can't have every tree of the fruit that's in the garden? Did, did God really say that you can't eat of every tree that's in the garden? Did God really say that? And he still does the same thing to us today. Did God really say, I can't watch that show on Netflix? Did God really say that music with bad language is really that bad? Did God really say that? Did God really say gossip is a sin? You know what we do. We say, uh, tell me so I can pray. I need to know how to pray. <laughs> I need to just give me some more details so I know how to pray. <laughs> Did God really say that gossip was that big of a deal? Did God really say not to post half-naked photos on social media? Yeah, actually, he did. (laughs) Yeah, he did say. He didn't say it in those words, but he actually did say that. Did God say, uh, you know what we do is we say, I'm not that bad. I'm a lot better than a lot of people. And look at them over there, what they're doing. And God, I'm I'm not like them. But let me tell you something. A lot of people are not the standard. We're not called to be like the world around us. We're called to resist and to be different in an unholy culture. To be transformed and not conformed. Listen, our culture is obsessed with sex. We're called to be moral, to be modest, and to be pure. Our culture is obsessed with money. We are called not to greed, but to give our lives away and to give of our earthly goods. Our culture is obsessed with having more, but we are called to be content with what God gives us. Our culture is obsessed with status and success, but our calling is to bring God glory. You see, here's the problem is people get caught up in the theology of happiness. Just as he has called you is happy, so be you happy in all that you do. Listen, the theology of happiness empowers personal justification. Because so many people wrongly believe that God's calling in life His highest calling for us is our happiness when God's highest calling for you is not our happiness, but it's our holiness. Here's here's how convoluted we can get. Well, since I'm not happy, then I can do things that would otherwise be wrong, right? I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'm leaving. Theology of happiness justifies somebody to, to just walk away from a marriage when God hates Divorce, right? Just justifies us. If God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage, then God must want me to leave. No! God's not nearly as worried about how happy you are as He is about how holy you are. You see, I want this and I really want it, 
I can't afford it. But I really want it, God. And God wants me to be happy, so I'll forgo giving to the kingdom. I'll forgo paying my bills. I'll rack up debt. I'll do whatever I can to have the next thing and the next toy because it makes me happy. God must approve. No. Dating. Well, I know I should wait, but we're in love and God understands and, and we're really married in our heart anyways. No. God is not nearly as worried about your happiness as He is about your holiness. Because when we believe that God wants us happy above everything else, you know what we do? Is we will delay uh, 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 discomfort, uh, risk, and suffering, and all these things. They can't be God's will for us. The trial that we talked about last week can't be God's will for us because God wants me to be happy, right? No. Hear me today, that, that when we begin to get it out of order and we begin to see God as the great sugar daddy in the sky, we miss the will of God. We're thinking like the old life. We're thinking like the old way. And you can't prove and test what is the will of God as long as you're living like the world. Without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, of money, of pleasure and things. See, the theology of happiness says that God exists to serve me. But the theology of holiness says that God does not exist to serve me, but we exist to serve Him. The word holy in Scripture is hagios, which is holy, set apart, different, and pure. God wants us to be holy, to be set apart, different, and pure. Why? Why does it even matter? Why does it even matter? Listen to this. 1 Peter 1.18. I'm wrapping up. I know I'm out of time. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but were revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Peter says, here's why you live holy. Because you weren't redeemed with something that is perishable. You weren't bought with something that is perishable. But you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Lamb who is without spot and blemish. Holiness is based on knowing who God is. He says, be holy because I am holy. It's because of who He is and because of what He's done. It's because He laid down His life on the cross. It's because He lived an overcoming, sinless life. It's because He faced the tempter in the wilderness and He did not, uh, he did not give in. It's because He faced the temptation to walk away from the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane and did not give in. He could have called 10,000 angels even while He was on the cross, but He refused. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because He loved you and He cared about you and He wanted to redeem you from this world and from your sins. And so because of who He is, I want to be holy. I don't just want to... I, I'm not doing it because I want to earn His affection. I'm doing it because He already loved me. Because He already gave Himself for me. It's, it's not that I have to. It's that I want to because of who He is. Yes. Living holy 
isn't the path to knowing Christ. Because sometimes we misinterpret it. We think, well, if I get everything straight. Listen, honey, you can't. You can't get everything straight. You need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you, if you don't, if you, you're here and you've never been baptized with the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost to overcome sin. Amen. Amen. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the empowering of the Spirit of God. Living holy isn't the path to knowing Christ, but knowing Christ is the path to living holy. I'm going I'm to close with this little snippet of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. I love this. Paul writes and he says, Now this I say and testify in the, word, in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Listen, he says, They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But listen to what he says. This is where I'm going to close it. He says, But that is not the way that you learned Christ. He says, you have not learned Jesus that way. I want us to stand, stand together as I come to a close. He says, you, you didn't learn Christ that way. That's not how you learned Him. He connected their outward living with their understanding and revelation of who Jesus is. Hear me tonight that everything that we do, how many of you co-workers know that you're Christian? How many of you? How many of your family members know that you go to church? Everything that we do is sending out a message about who we serve. And so Paul, he connects it. He says, that isn't how you learn Jesus. That isn't how you know to live for Jesus. That's not what you were taught about Jesus. You have not so learn Christ. He says, and I'm going to blaze through this, I promise you. He says, so because you have not learned Christ that way, he says, put off your old self, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, speak the truth, to stop lying, be angry, do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. I'm just picking snippets out of here. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him do honest work. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And be kind one to another, forgiving one another. How? As Christ forgave you. Listen, Jesus is the standard. The more we know Him, the more He's going to lead us to be separate from this world. To not live like this world lives and not do what this world does. So tonight, I want us to close. Our ushers are coming, but I want us to close and we're just going to lift our hands and pray. My prayer is that that in hearing this tonight, somebody, your attention is brought to things that God wants to deal with in your life. Amen. Can we just bow our heads and pray right now? Lord, I pray over this church, God. I pray over each and every one of our hearts and spirits. God, that you would minister to us, God. God, that you would lead us and guide us, help us to live holy and overcoming lives that bring you honor and that bring you glory, God. 
For you have called us to be different in this world, God. To separate ourselves from the influences of culture. For no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, God. You called us to set our affections on the things that are above and not beneath. And so, God, bring our attention to it tonight. And let it be accomplished by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name.